Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I am Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and this week we are talking about the fourth episode of the fourth season of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Amy Neal. This is her only episode of Call the Midwife, and it was written by Damien Whaling. He wrote the sixth episode of season three, which is the episode of Trixie and Tom's first date. Hmm, that's interesting. It is interesting. All right. So this episode begins with Trixie being late to clinic and Nurse Crane is demanding, offending Sheila. Sister Monica Joan offends the mothers by telling gruesome tales about King Henry VIII and his wives. Two pregnant moms are at the clinic. Bridget Cole, who is seen by Sister Winifred, and Susan Robbins, who is seen by Barbara. Barbara later stops by the Robbins' home to find they are rope makers, and Frank Robbins is very anxious to have a son. Trixie is nervous about meeting the bishop with Tom, and Barbara coaches her through it. Sister Winifred goes to see Bridget, who lives in a brothel, and finds her ready for the baby, and also meets Dora, an older sex worker who's suffering from late-stage syphilis. Sister Winifred attempts to go on a crusade to get sex workers to wear sheaths to prevent syphilis with mixed results. Sister Monica Joan is mourning her former capabilities while looking at old photos after being called out in the clinic. Susan confides in Barbara that she thinks her husband will find another woman if she doesn't have a son, and it is discovered that Bridget has syphilis, She's checked into the maternity home, but doesn't stay long, as one of her friends comes to sneak her out, because Dora needs her. So, what do you want to talk about first? There, I mean, I'll just start, answer my own question, to say <laughs> this isn't a real thing to talk about. Just a quick thing to mention, that the, um, the voiceover at the beginning, not for the first time, talks about there being a rhythm to life in Poplar. Mm, and yes. so there's... This is a thing we keep coming back to. Uh, I haven't kept track of how many times uh, Mature Jenny has told us that there's a rhythm to life in Poplar, but I know it's more than once. Yep, absolutely. And here it is again, and this is where we start. Uh, There's a rhythm to life in Poplar, and then we see this story. which, Which plot line do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Trixie and... Nurse Crane? Yeah, let's let's talk about Trixie first. So Trixie is late to clinic, uh, which is unlike her. It is. I I mean, Trixie's always been a bit flighty, but I feel like this characterization of her is a bit much. But it shows how preoccupied she is with the engagement and the upcoming wedding and all that stuff. There's like a thing we see in this episode and we see... In the very beginning of this episode, I think Trixie, un- like, Trixie being late for work is unusual because she can, 
her characterization is like seems a little shallow seems a little flighty but she's good at her job and she's competent and she's the like does her job but i i feel like um and i do feel like this is partly just like a mist a writerly mistake to be honest i don't think that trixie is late for work but what we're doing here is two things is like making nurse crane a bit uh overbearing and unlikable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like trixie is trying to decide who she is and trying to figure out you know how to live like what choices she wants to make about what kind of person she wants to be as mm-hmm. she is growing into a next stage of her life she's anticipating marrying tom she's anticipating that that's going to change her station in life and her purpose in life and she's trying to like figure out who actually she's going to be right mm-hmm. that's one of the themes of this episode in terms of trixie's character for this episode she's like what kind of what kind of wife am i going to be what kind of person am i going to be and she starts off as you said like very she's late for work because she's got a lot in her mind about the engagement and she's all excited about it and uh that's partly like trixie deciding where she places her priorities you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think that later on when she's nervous about meeting the bishop, this and getting coached about it is also like, this is, there's a thread here of Trixie not acting like herself. And I mm-hmm. think that is showing how, where we reach in the end with the end of their engagement is her not acting like herself. Or she's the one doing the coaching. Like we remember in season one, her coaching chummy how to get a man and that, that sheer confidence that Trixie often has. And she has such a lack of confidence when it comes to Tom and particularly his job, his his calling as the clergy that is in conflict with her calling, it seems like. And that is a thread through this episode is, you know, what is the calling and what is not. And it's like my, I mean, to jump to the very end of the, <laughs> to jump to the very end of the episode, not the end <laughs> of the episode, but the end of my notes on the episode, like my last note uh, that I'm going to say now instead is Trixie and Tom's uh, engagement falls apart rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we say no spoilers, but don't mind spoiling the episode. Uh, and like, in some ways it does fall apart rather quickly, but also we see this sense in Trixie right from the beginning of like, as you say, she's lacking confidence because she's lacking. um, She doesn't know how to navigate her calling and Tom's calling and her personality and Tom's calling. And it's like an anxiety. This goes back to this is written by the same person who wrote the first date episode where she goes on the bus with him and the bus breaks down and she's like, what do I do here? Um, Which also I feel like there's a, characterization of Trixie between these two episodes that isn't always what we see from Trixie but the like her sense of who she is clashes with her sense of what is expected of her Mm -hmm. and she has to decide what she's going to do about that Mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely so let's talk about our two moms or pregnant moms for right now um We've got Bridget and we've got Susan. Do you want to talk about Susan first? Yeah. 
Susan Robbins, she is the one whose husband uh, desperately wants a boy. Um, her, the, one of the things I noticed about her, in the clinic when, in her, about her story, when the clinic, when it is first, she and uh, Bridget are both in the clinic. Sister Monica Joan is there and she's teaching the kids about Henry VIII and she's teaching them the uh, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Um, and that's what she gets like called out for and, and, and scolded for and mm-hmm. she feels bad about later. But there's this like barely subtextual, like that being there makes it pretty textual textual that like Mr. Robbins is this petty tyrant like Henry VIII who is so obsessed with continuing his dynasty and uh, needs a son to continue his dynasty just like Henry VIII needed a son, thought he needed a son to continue his dynasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mrs. Robbins thinks that uh, her husband will dismiss her, divorce her, leave her, cheat on her, whatever get a younger woman get a younger woman devalue her and and uh dispose of her in some way in the same way that henry the eighth disposed of his wives when they didn't uh give him a son that like this thing that is just as out of her power as it was out of henry the eighth's wives powers uh just as out of uh mrs robin's power as it, it was out of anne boleyn's power um Continue, like, this this parallel here that he's, like, Henry VIII and his dynasty is this rope-making factory rather than the Kingdom of England, but it's the same dynamic. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, a rope-making business is not the same as a kingdom, but to him, it he has had, like, his brothers died in the war, so, like, World War II, of course, is very fresh in the minds of everyone and call the midwife. So he's got this uh, sense of duty that he has to continue this dynasty. He has to continue this, this business, but, and only a son will do. Yeah. And it's Robins and sons. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's very, again, like the subtext is text, Mm -hmm. but it's like, not just he needs a son to continue his uh, dreams of his life. Like, if if he doesn't have a son, then there isn't a Robins and Sons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's interesting, the uh, juxtaposition between Susan and then Bridget Cole, in that Susan is your, like... She's a married woman with a husband and Bridget is a sex worker, but it seems like uh, Bridget is the one who's m- much more prepared for her baby hmm. and not necessarily prepared in the long term, but prepared for what comes. Whereas Susan feel feels like she is resisting being prepared because she's resi- she doesn't want to end up cast aside because it's going to be a girl. Yeah, she's very... uh, Susan is very, like, resigned to her fate. She's convinced that it's going to be a girl in a way that, like, you know, frankly, I, watching the show, am also convinced it's going to be a girl, and it is, because obviously it is, because it's a TV show. Yeah, Um, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But she, in world, is, like, once again, not the first mother we have seen like this, 
like things aren't going to go well so why bother getting my hopes up and preparing mm-hmm. like it's going to be a girl and uh when it's a girl that's it yeah. there's no like coping with that situation and yeah. one of the things like barbara and the other midwives uh have this both like um are indignant on her behalf that the sex of her baby is out of her control but also about that like she even if the sex of the baby wasn't her control or like there's two different issues right mm-hmm. that, like he assumes that his uh that a boy baby is more valuable than a girl baby and he also assumes which is a separate thing that a wife is only valuable for giving the right kind of baby mm-hmm. and it feels to me like her like the end of the episode there is a judgment by her on his character in her assumption that he is going to uh, find another woman if she doesn't have a son. That's a judgment on his character that I don't think the end of the episode undoes. No, it doesn't. Do you want to talk, though, about you started to transition into (laughs) Bridget, and I brought us back to Susan for a second. Um, Do you want to talk more about Bridget and Dora and their whole situation? Yeah. Well... Like I said, she's ready for baby in a way that we I don't think we've seen other sex workers on this show be in that situation. Like we have, she's definitely not the first one we've seen, but I feel like she's the most mentally prepared for the idea of having a baby. Like she's not surprised, she's not mad, she's just kind of like, this is what's going to happen, I'm going to raise a baby here. And Sister Winifred is trying her level best not to be judgmental <laughs> she's trying really hard she's trying hard not she's trying to be. really hard <laughs> but and uh and to have dora there who she's already maternal towards uh that she already has someone she's taking care of and so it feels like bridget has uh already has the sense of, like, I know how to take care of someone. I take care of this woman who's been here. Yeah, she has... She demonstrates uh, caretaking skill. Yeah. Right? Like, one of the things... Dora is there for a few reasons in the episode, but one of them is that, like, Bridget has uh, both temperament but also like ability as a caretaker she knows how to look after someone who needs looking after and dora i mean she doesn't need she doesn't actually give dora all the care that dora needs Mm -hmm. um but it's like an example of bridget's like ability as a caretaker Mm -hmm. right dora has these like lesions and advanced syphilis and is like really very ill Mm -hmm. and this is uh again as this show often is uh it has this con this um before and after of socialized medicine Hmm. where someone like dora who lived for most of her life before socialized medicine would never see the doctor because the doctor costs too much money and there's other reasons psychological reasons there too that we don't get a sense of but there's abuse i'm sure mm-hmm. i mean but the then, way that she responds is like a trauma response exactly yeah. she has a trauma response 
But it is this like before and after socialized medicine where all these people who live most of their lives where the doctor costs money and they live in a very poor area and they can't afford a doctor and therefore just don't see one and then have a hard time then wrapping their minds around it's okay you can see a doctor now it's okay it's it's paid for the NHS is here and uh just like call the midwife is again and again this beacon of the good of socialized medicine mm-hmm. that I feel very strongly in favor of and support and I'm glad that I live in a country with that can we talk before we move on from this section about mm-hmm. we again like we mentioned it briefly but I want to go back to sister Winifred and yeah. her like hilarious in this section and I just absolutely love the image of like John's going into the brothel being confronted by a nun on the way in <laughs> exactly like, like <laughs> I'm not here to stop you I just want to make sure you have a condom like okay thanks a lot. okay <laughs> oh man just to make you feel extra guilty and yeah like, I also love I that she I genuinely think that uh, it's one of the things that Sister Winifred, she is doing her best to be judgmental, and I genuinely think she isn't trying to make them yeah. feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, of course, they're going to feel judged with a nun and, like, watching them go into the brothel. That's so funny. I think that uh, the one of the funniest parts to me, too, like, this is also, like, just a little bit for humor, and she goes to Peter, uh... And asks him, you know, like, how many prostitutes do you think there are in Poplar? And he's yeah. just like, what? And then, you know, I I kind of remembered that she does this. And I, in watching the episode, I kind of expected this to be, like, a long-term plan that she's going to do this. But it's like, no, we're going, like, she tells Sister Julianne, and it's like, we're going tonight. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to hand out condoms, like, tonight. Okay. This is another cool. thing that I like actually about this show and these characters. I I mean it's frankly it's good storytelling mm-hmm. that like we want them to do things right away because it's better for the story. But like I really love Sister Winifred for like well I'm going to do it right like what do I wait? Why would I wait? I'm going to yeah. do it right now. Literally right now. I have an idea of something I can do that I think will help and I'm going to do it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I really like that. Uh I really like that character trait. Yeah, exactly. The bishop meets with Tom and Trixie, offering Tom a parish in Newcastle. The couple argues and afterward, afterwards about Trixie's role, Tom asks Trixie if marrying the church is really going to suit her. Trixie goes home and begins drinking, passing out in her bed. Bridget goes into labor at the brothel and delivers a baby girl with Phyllis and Sister Winifred assisting. There is some concern over the baby's health, but she seems to be fine. A laboring mother knocks on the door of Nanata's house and Sister Monica Joan answers. Everyone is asleep, including the passed out Trixie. And Sister Monica Joan takes her to the maternity home where Sheila helps her. Sister Monica Joan and Sheila work together to deliver the baby girl the woman is so pleased with the help, she names her daughter Monica. Oh, we didn't yeah. talk about earlier, like we mentioned why Sister Monica Joan is feeling bad. Mm-hmm. That she gets kind of chewed out for talking about 
Henry VIII than two, like, four-year-olds, <laughs> which kind of fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, again, not for the first time. She's confronted with her age and mm-hmm. is feeling uh, useless. She says, I'm a relic, a curiosity, and a nuisance. And then there's no one but her to help. Uh, I really... In a, and I really appreciate the part where, like, I was nervous when this woman showed up and Sister Monica Joan goes to help because sometimes Sister Monica Joan tries to help and does poorly at it. So I thought she's going to try and deliver this baby by herself. But no, she takes her to the maternity home. It's so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, she actually takes her to the place where she can get help. So When there's knocking at the door and she says, here's a knocking indeed. That's a quote from Macbeth. Uh, and then she goes and we have both Sister Monica Joan being helpful and competent. Like, two things. Like, one, I'm going to interrupt myself to say, like, the problem with Sister Monica Joan and, like, as a real person, the problem is that she's incompetent. It's that she's not reliable. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that you can't depend on her being competent. Doesn't yeah. mean she never is. Uh, she still is knows what she knows when she knows it Mm -hmm. but like your fear is also you know sister julienne's fear yeah that sister monica joan answering the door you you don't know if she's gonna do okay and it's so good that she did Mm -hmm. um she needs help but trixie can't help yes and this is a really big deal um we've seen all throughout this show trixie's drinking and uh, I think even earlier in the episode, uh, Barbara makes a joke about it. Yeah, Barbie, Barbara says, like, we something about we go up to Trixie's bar mm-hmm. and we see a little thing on Trixie's face that, like, she does not love the that way of talking about that, like, it's Trixie's bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but Barbara and Patsy, like, oh, don't make it such a big deal. It's just silliness. Like, mm-hmm. haha. And it's like this mic- this contrast of Barbara and Trixie, right? That like Barbara's so wide-eyed, innocent, and she came in not knowing what alcohol really tasted like or that things were alcoholic. And so she's like having this experience of um, drinking secretly up in her room is this like, I can have a few drinks and it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's a little thrill. A little thrill and a little like... Actually, for Barbara, having a few drinks in her room is a paradoxically a sign of responsibility. Like, she's growing into adulthood, and growing into adulthood and responsibility for herself means, like, setting rules for herself. Like, I'm not, that I, not that I'm arguing that people should secretly drink when their employer tells them not to. <laughs> like, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't actually think that you, they, they should be getting drunk up in their room. But, like... Their experience of Barbara and uh, Trixie is very different in the same thing that, like, for Barbara, Trixie's bar is, like, showing her uh, an adult life that she's been sheltered from. And for Trixie, Trixie's bar is, like, this is how they see me and this is who I am that, like, you know, as we see in the episode, like, drinking to cope, drink self-medicating and... uh, drinking to drunkenness and we start off the episode with like Trixie being late for work is not in character it's like an unusual thing for her and it's kind of a big deal that she would be late for work 
And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, things get yeah. so much worse for her in this Trixie episode. Trixie missing work. Trixie not being available to be on call is such an even bigger deal. And um, and the thing about Trix, the whole calling it Trixie's bar, too. Trixie knows on some level that there's a problem, but mm-hmm. is not ready yet to admit it. And mm-hmm. won't be. Um, so... This is, you know, the hint of, it's not just Trixie drinks in her room because she's an adult. She's, she's drinking to cope a little too much. And yeah, I mean, we'll like, it is the difference also, like in real life, mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, even if other people don't, the difference between like, I like a drink and drinking is who i am and who people see me as Mm -hmm. like those are very different experiences very different on the topic of trixie we're kind of moving backwards through but do you Mm -hmm. want to talk about trixie and tom's fight yeah well just a a side note of where newcastle is because i'm not from (laughs) the uk newcastle is quite north uh, quite far from London in like a mining urban area. And so it would be like uh, not that dissimilar from Poplar, but even far, but much, much further from like the London that Trixie likes. Not dissimilar from Poplar in the sense of like class and money. Class and, and money, exactly. It would be an area of poverty, but not in London. But not in London. Very, very far from London. And... uh and I guess, obviously, she's wanting to move into the country, which that's never been mentioned before. I found that a little odd. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of makes sense for her character. There's this thing that, like, we've seen before, and it feels to me not so much like a bad writing mischaracterization as it is, like, the weird expectations put on women in this era that, like, you have your career, and then you get married, and your career ends. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and very much And your entire so. life and personality and character changes on a dime. Mm-hmm. And we see, we've seen um, Chummy struggle with that, and we're seeing Sheila struggle with that a little in this episode, even. Yeah. Um, that, like, I mean, Sheila's life changed enormously when she got married. Yeah. But, like, she can't have her career anymore. Uh, Sheila is, like a competent midwife and in this scene uh it's overshadowed by monica by sister monica joan but it's also there is that like sheila also feels like i can't believe i delivered a baby i can still do it mm-hmm. and like well, of course you can yeah and it's tied up to like the idea of trixie and that like we've never heard trixie talk about moving into the country but it kind of makes sense from that perspective, that Trixie expects that when she gets married, her life is going to change on a dime. And what it's going to change into is the only question. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Which comes back again, like, we're getting this theme through this episode. This is all connected to Susan Robbins, actually. Mm-hmm. Still. Yeah. That, like, Sheila and Trixie and Susan Robbins are all three facets of the same story of, like... When you get married, you have to become someone that is a uh, function of your husband. Yeah, you're like a subset of him. 
and we see all three of them coping that with that in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just touch on Bridget's story here again. Uh, that she goes into labor, and this is where this episode falls down a bit because she has syphilis. She gets uh recovers from it. There's some worry that the baby will have it. She has the baby, and then everything's fine. It feels to me like there's a scene missing. It does. And I watched it on uh, I watched it on CBC Gem sometimes, so I made sure that you watched it on DVD, and I kind of watched a little bit of it on the DVD as well, and it's just like, something's missing here. Like, this baby should have I've... had, like, a recovery scene or something. I mean, we talked about this off mic, but let's say now, uh, there's this plot line gets weirdly dropped and then i like have a memory of a scene that wasn't in either the gem or the dvd yeah in in the robbins's story exactly we haven't got to it yet but i'll i don't maybe mention it then but or maybe mention it now um i feel like it's in the edit something weird has happened here but like yeah the story that worry about syphilis just evaporates Mm -hmm. absolutely it's not resolved it just like Stops being a worry. Oh, I guess it was healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a nice story, and it's not, and it, but I feel like it gets dropped very early on in the episode where she like she gives birth and then it's done. Yeah. Um. So Barbara comes home after delivering her second baby of the day to find Trixie passed out and unable to take her shift. Uh, instead of telling Sister Mon- Sister Julienne. Barbara sneaks out past her to deliver her third baby of the day to Susan Robbins. She has a baby girl and is distraught. The placenta is retained, so Susan needs to be taken to the hospital. Frank turns away when he learns the baby is a girl, and Barbara scolds him for it. It is a record number of babies being born in one day, including Barbara delivering three, Sister Monica Joan assisting in one, and the Turners talk over the day and embrace in the kitchen, while Timothy shows Angela the mushy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Trixie later apologizes to Sister Julianne about her night and confesses she has a problem with drinking. She also doesn't feel like she should be a curate's wife. Sister Julianne advises her not to keep secrets in a marriage. Susan is in distress over Frank not wanting a daughter, and Barbara and Dr. Turner attempt to comfort her. Trixie and Tom discuss their marriage, and Trixie says she can't live up to being a curate's wife. She breaks their engagement and gives Tom back his ring. Sister Winifred visits Bridget and finds her with the baby, and Sister Winifred asks her to help encourage other women to use protection to prevent STDs. They don't call them actually STDs in the show. Yeah, what do they call them? Venereal, venereal disease, maybe, or or yeah. just syphilis. Dr. Turner talks to Frank Robbins about family promises and sons, and the next morning he finally holds his daughter and talks to her about the rope-making family, talking aloud about how important it is. Lastly, Mature Jenny narrates about weathering changes as we see Barbara with her three babies, Sister Winifred educating the sex workers, and Trixie crying in the chapel. 
<sighs> so I said a lot just there, but let's go through it. <laughs> you did. I want to start uh, maybe at the beginning of that section mm-hmm. with Barbara sneaking out to enable Trixie. Mm-hmm. And like I said a second ago that like, you know, Barbara's experience of drinking in the room is different from Trixie's experience of drinking in the room. This is, I was like so disappointed in Barbara in this moment that like. Yes and no, but because Trixie, no matter what Barbara does, Trixie's passed out. Like Trixie's not going to be able to get up and deal with her work. And so Barbara might as well deal with it. Yes, but uh, sneaking out and sneaking past Sister Julienne um, when she knows that Trixie isn't sick, she's drunk, Mm -hmm. is like, I mean, it's literally, it's enabling. Yeah, I I don't think, uh, if I'm going to be like uh, picking, poking at uh, inconsistencies or implausibilities... I don't think that uh, the Trixie in this story admits she has a problem to Sister Julianne. Mm-hmm. Because Barbara stopped her from having a problem. Yeah. Like, the problem was solved by Barbara. Mm-hmm. And I think that Trixie, if it, the, the, the real Trixie in this moment, <laughs> is like, okay, I can cope with this then. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know. She's, Barbara's trying to be kind and need the, the job needs doing. Barbara's trying to be kind and supportive. But I'm like, you're not helping her by enabling her alcoholism. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my take on the start of this recap section. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do think in a way it's a kindness not to like announce it either. Like who would she... I guess she would tell Sister Julienne, but she'd probably tell Nurse Crane. She, like, in... She lets Trixie come to it herself. Because, of course, Trixie feels guilty as soon as she wakes up. And, I mean, I hear what you're saying, that she kind of got away with it. But she still has the guilt over missing uh, a birth. Yeah. And not being there for her uh, fellow midwives. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, people feel lots of ways. I just think that, uh, I don't want, like, I'm not rooting for Trixie or anyone on this show to suffer, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the show kind of pulls its punches on Trixie, uh, and Barbara spares her from actually confronting her problem. Mm. Yeah. And then it just has her, like, confronted herself anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess she confesses to Sister Julienne, but, and Sister Julienne says that, you know, you should tell Tom, and she says no. Yeah. And so if the truth had gotten out, if Barbara had let the truth out, then more people would have found out, Tom would have found out. Yeah. And that might have been a good thing. And, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is either. But I just do think that, like... As you say, I mean, I don't know. I am not, uh, I, you know, don't want to be claiming expertise I don't have. I don't have personal experience with alcoholism, even as, like, someone with a loved one who is an alcoholic. So Mm -hmm. if people know better than me, uh, correct me. But my sense is that Trixie waking up feeling very guilty 
guilt is a poor motivator for change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what motivates change is confronting, is being unable to solve the problem. Yeah. And Barbara solves the problem for her. So she wakes up feeling guilty. I think that makes her drink more. Mm, yes, that, you're right. That is true. I just like, I know I'm being picky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm criticizing both the characters and the writing, but um, I'm mostly criticizing the character because, and it's something that we see that like, I'm criticizing the character in a way that like, I like Barbara a lot. Uh, her, she's very wide eyed and innocent in a way that is naive sometimes and naive sometimes in a way that makes her like try to be helpful in ways that are not really helpful Mm -hmm. because she is very like she's helpful in the way that like almost in the way that like a a teenager would be Hmm. i don't want you to get in trouble yeah like yeah Yeah. sometimes people need to get in trouble yeah you know what i mean yep absolutely um you know talk about uh susan robbins yes so she does have the baby and it's a girl. Of course it's a girl. Of course it's a girl. Like, there's no doubt in mm-hmm. my mind ever in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Frank, you know, does not rise to the occasion. Not at all. What do you think of how this resolves? Um, I think that, uh... I'm surprised that he comes around, but of course he does because that's the show. Except it's not always. Yeah, it's not always. Um, It does take him a while. Like, he doesn't come around instantly the way sometimes people will do. Is like, as soon as the baby's born, you're just so happy that it's here and that it's, you know, healthy, that you're not mad anymore. So I do like that this show shows uh, us that Susan wasn't wrong. Yeah. That... It wasn't just a just an, a fear she had. It was like he is upset. He's actually upset that it's a daughter being born. Yeah, and that sucks a lot. Like heartbreaking, heartbreaking, and so sucky. Um, and and it's sucky that it takes Doctor Turner talking to him. So it takes yeah. a man exactly. That's doesn't what I was... respond. Yeah, he doesn't respond to Barbara scolding him. He responds to Dr. Turner talking to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, kind of had in mind. That, like, all the women from his wife to Barbara to... I don't know who else actually scolds him. They talk about him. But Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's the only people who talk to him. Yeah. But the women talking to him have no effect. He listens to a man... uh, and Dr. Turner knows that he's going to listen to him because he's a man and mm-hmm. is right. Yep. And Dr. Turner knows that his voice is worth more than Barbara's voice. And it is. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Not, uh, I don't know. It's unfortunate. I don't know. As I said early on, uh, I feel like him ending... Ending this episode talking to his daughter about how important the family is is all very sweet. I feel like I have this false memory. Maybe it was in the aired, uh, aired episode. It certainly isn't in the episodes we watched. I feel like I have this false memory of him 
like writing and daughter on the truck. I felt like he did too. So it's not just you who remembered that. I, unless that's in a different episode. Maybe it unless is. Unless that's a different parent. But I really thought that that's what happened in this episode. So I don't know if that was like... the it, it, When it aired on BBC, it had that and it's been cut and everything since or what. But I feel like that would... Even if that doesn't ever happen in this episode, that would have been a little bit more icing on the cake of like a more permanent gesture. Mm-hmm. Because as it feelings. is, like it's easy to talk to a baby who can't understand you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you still don't put any faith in women's perspective, including your wife's. And as I said at the beginning, like her her judgment of his character. Uh, Her judgment to his character is accurate, and it also is like it speaks to a problem in their marriage that this ending does not solve. Mm -hmm. Because even if she was wrong, that that's who she thinks he is, is itself a problem that needs fixing in their marriage and in the plot of the story. Mm -hmm. That like, either it needs to be fixed in the plot terms, like it needs to be resolved. Mm -hmm. Uh, Either he needs to you know, they need to confront each other, they need to make, uh, not confront each other, but they need to confront the truth together of who she thinks he is, either by discovering that she's right, or him growing and learning and changing, or discovering that she was wrong all along, and both as narrative and also as, like, you know, in our marriage, if you thought that I was going to find another woman if you did something, I, like, that would be a symptom of something wrong in our marriage that wouldn't get fixed just because I didn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> our marriage is not in the 1950s. I know, but the assessment of his character mm-hmm. doesn't go away. No, it does not. This is who she thinks he is, and she's basically right. Mm-hmm. And he, like talking this speech doesn't make me feel better about him Mm -hmm. (laughs) basically i guess is where i am ending it is a flaw with this show as much as i love this show that things get wrapped up and sometimes they're not wrapped up in the sense of like this isn't gonna continue and i've had this complaint before that you know it's fine that the dad is okay with his son being black but that doesn't mean that their life is gonna be easy in the long term you've complained about this particular that particular (laughs) episode and i'm gonna say what i've said before which is the that one doesn't bother me because the story was about yeah okay the dad and it like new problems will arise in their lives but uh they will deal with those problems together yeah, okay. And that was the story that that episode mm-hmm. was. But it is exactly this episode that, like, new problems are going to arise in these people's lives, and I don't trust them to solve it together yeah. based on yeah. this ending. That's that's really my issue, I guess. Mm-hmm. I trust that family to resolve their issues together somehow. Not that they won't have them, but that, like, what was demonstrated is that, like, he loves her and his child and... uh uh, the child being black is like, I don't care. I don't notice it. I don't care. It's a it's a, a narrative gesture of love and acceptance that symbolizes a character moment of love and acceptance. This episode, to me, 
is a narrative gesture of acceptance that doesn't really symbolize a character growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like... I'm just saying it's not the only one, and that it is. And <laughs> I, I won't bring up that example anymore because we're gonna if you want. we're gonna fight about it every time. But <laughs> bring it up all you want. But I do think that there is some issues with that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've talked about before, and we're gonna talk about again because it is always a balancing act of this show. That when it hits it, it does it beautifully, but it's easy to stumble in either direction that like this show can be maudlin uh where like you know we can imagine a version of this story where like uh frank robbins leaves his daughter and the baby has syphilis and dies and uh dora also dies and like yeah we can imagine that story that being a direction that this show might do yeah it really might and then we also, like, sometimes the show is, like, uh, rosy, everyone learns and grows and, uh, unmotivatedly and, uh, you know, Trixie, uh, puts down a bottle and doesn't, and never has a drink again. And, you know, like, uh, and, uh, Frank decides that it paints daughters on his truck and, uh, Sometimes the show is like rose-colored glasses, everyone is too good for this world. And it I feel like um, it airs on that side a little more than the other side. Mm-hmm. Everything ends up happily, every baby turns out okay, and every uh, marriage ends up loving. Um, I like that that doesn't happen all the time, but that's the danger of this these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. That like threading that needle is hard. And they don't always land it perfectly. Uh, what makes it more impressive when they do. But I think this episode doesn't quite. It, it lands a little too much, in my opinion, on like, well, let's just give them happy endings, even if they haven't quite earned them. Yep. <laughs> why doesn't the baby have, like, why don't we deal with the syphilis? Because we just don't. Yeah. <laughs> we raised a, an issue and then we drop it. And mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, he just decides that he does want a daughter after all. Is a little bit that, actually. Mm-hmm. That, like, yes, Dr. Turner talks to him and gives a rousing speech. But he also is just like, okay, well, it, I'm checking my watch and it's near the end of the episode and we got to resolve it some way. <laughs> I guess I love my daughter. <laughs> you know? Yep. What was your favorite part of this episode? I think when the mom says that she's going to name her daughter after Sister Monica Joan. Oh. I had honestly completely forgotten about that part of this episode. I had I'd kind of forgotten about this episode in general, but that was a surprise to me and it was very sweet and it made me tear up. What there about is, you? There is a thing that uh, Phyllis, that Nurse Crane says that we didn't actually talk about in the recap. But I have in my notes, which is, I feel like pulling together the threads of the theme of this episode, she says, talking about World War II, as you did. Every time the world goes up in flames, they draft women in to pick up the slack. And once it's over, it's back in your box and don't say boo. Yes. And that, like, I feel like that's what this episode is about. Yep. And this episode would be stronger if it pushed even harder into that theme. And I like it best when it is pushing into that theme. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I don't know if that moment is my favorite part, but that 
theme is my favorite part yep. of the episode. And Absolutely. it's articulated at that moment by Nurse Crane so well. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful quote. I love it. Yeah. And so true. I've been watching uh, the League of Their Own show, and it's very much about that, that, you know, these women got to finally play a man's sport, so to speak, and then shoved back as soon as the war ended. It's back in your box. Back in your box. All right, so if you would like to talk to us about this or any other Call the Midwife episode, how would you get in contact with us, Paul? You can email us at poplaropinion at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on Twitter, at poplaropinion. We're on Facebook, probably. <laughs> I don't use Facebook, like, at all. But, you know, if you messaged us, we'd probably see it. If you searched us, we'd probably be there, right? I think uh, so. I think so. <laughs> I think I made a Facebook page a while ago. Definitely email and Twitter are the best ways, though. And you can also support us on Patreon at ClockworksCast. That is our Patreon. It'll help to support us to make this show. And uh, it would also make us a very, very grateful and love you forever. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's cool. Even if you have a daughter. <laughs> Even if you have a daughter. Uh, speaking of daughters... Um, our daughter, our oldest, <laughs> who is just turned 14, what, what, uh, when we said we were going downstairs to record a podcast, she said that she was like, well, why can't I be on your podcast? And we said, well, what do you have to say about Call the Midwife? And she was like, you know, it's about midwives. And I was like, well, I mean, obviously. And then she was like, you know, they have babies and sometimes you cry because it's happy and sometimes you cry because it's sad. And we were like... Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I kind of got it. She's like, they have a baby and then the baby is sick and you cry. Or then they have a baby and the baby is healthy and you cry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Yeah, that's 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 the show that we watch. You kind of put your finger on it. Uh, so look forward to uh, her joining the podcast. <laughs> Maybe she will. <laughs> I don't think so. I have been Paul Moffat. And I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs>